Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. And coming from San Francisco, where I'm about to go uh, watch game two of Jazz Warriors uh, Thursday night. But this podcast is going to come out after that game, Friday morning. Uh, and it's going to be uh, a conversation about the game I'll be at tomorrow, uh, tonight for those listening, which will be Spurs Rockets uh, in Houston, game three. Uh, after the two teams split the first two games in San Antonio. Uh, But with the obviously huge news coming out of game two that Tony Parker is out for the remainder of the playoffs and likely far beyond the remainder of the playoffs uh, with a a ruptured quad, Uh, brutal injury. um, You know, and we'll, you know, it, it, it just, it was tough to see a guy like that who'd been having a great playoffs, far better than I expected him to have. Um, go down with injury like that. So uh, to talk about that, uh, we're going to have a fun conversation with Jeff McDonald, my very good friend from the San Antonio Express News who's been on the pod before. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the loss of Parker, uh, what that means for this series, what that means uh, for the future of the team, uh, including this summer uh, and next year, uh, how they try to build a roster without him, without much cap space. Uh, so we got into a lot of stuff about that. We talked a lot about the series, about Kawhi Leonard, um, about LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, about guarding uh, the Rockets, uh, the, the the decisions that Mike, uh, Greg Popovich made going into game two that, that seemed to at least start to dip series back in San Antonio's direction after a brutal game one performance. So a lot of stuff that we got into should be should be a fun listen. So uh, hopefully you all enjoy that. Before we get to that, though, uh, just a reminder uh, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, my newsletter that's going daily through the playoffs. I uh, got a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, people seem to be liking it. We've got, we've got a bunch of signups, so thank you for that. Uh, to sign up, go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter. That's wapo.st slash postupnewsletter. Thank you in advance to uh, everybody who does so and to everybody who has. And thank you uh, in retrospect to everybody who already has. It's been a, been a big help, and it's been fun to see the, the audience grow for it a bit. And hopefully uh, over time that will continue. So, again, uh, to subscribe to the newsletter, go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter. And with that, let's get to my conversation with my man Jeff McDonald. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. I appreciate it. I know you're getting ready to head over to uh, Houston for Game Three of the series tomorrow, which I'll also be at with you. But um, what what is the general mood uh, in and around San Antonio today in the wake of uh, Tony Parker's obviously quite unfortunate injury last night in Game Two? I mean, it's probably it feels like the most devastating 25 point playoff loss in Spurs history. Pro, or victory, 25 point playoff victory. In Spurs history, man, I screwed up that punchline. Um, you know, it's very, um, you know, people are down. It's funny throughout the season, uh, you know, as Tony kind of battled through some various nagging injuries, didn't always look like himself. Sometimes it looked like maybe he was just, you know, washed up, finished. And, and there was a certain segment of Spurs fans that almost turned on a little bit and was, you know, you know, he, he's the reason, you know, we're not going to be able to go as far as we want in the playoffs. And then you don't hear any of that today. You basically hear, basically, oh, crap. Like, now what do we do? And part of that is because he was having such uh, – he was having a renaissance of a playoff series. I mean, he had one bad game in Memphis where he went scoreless. Other than that, he was, he's was he been their second-best player in the playoffs behind Kawhi Leonard. He had a 27-point game in Memphis to close off that series. Um, he was fabulous last night until he went down with the injury in the fourth quarter. And, you know, he – this. The Spurs kind of needed all hands on deck to win the series anyway, and now you're taking away the guy who's been their second-best player throughout the playoffs. So it, it's really um, it's a devastating blow for them and, and, um, and, and for the fans who kind of, other than 
you know, had he survived that game last night and you win by 25, they'd be feeling pretty good about their chances in the series today. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to lie. As a as given, Tony Parker uh, is a is a smaller point guard that relies on quickness and athleticism, and has really through a lot of his career. You know, the way he played last year and the way he played most of this year, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing as a lot of people there were. It was just kind of like, you know, he's had an unbelievable career and headed to the Hall of Fame, but it was hard to see how over the long term he was going to be um, a positive option for them. And you're right, during these playoffs, outside of that one scoreless game, he's been remarkable, and that included last night. I mean, he had 18 points and, and four assists and, and was really dictating things for a lot of the time he was on the court last night. And, you know, it was it was just it was just kind of, uh, you know, to see him go into the lane like he has a million times before for a floater and have him just come down and sit there in a heap. And I know you were at the game, but watching it on television, just seeing him kind of look at his leg and not even really grimace or, or make any faces about it, just kind of staring at it, really – really kind of made it seem immediately that he knew it was a really bad injury. And it, it, it sounded like from the, the quotes you guys got in the locker room that, you know, not that anybody thought it was going to be all right when he got carried off the court, but it certainly seemed like from the moment you guys got down and talked to people after the game, it was pretty clear right away that, you know, regardless of what exactly the outcome of the injury was going to be, we found out today it was a ruptured quad. Uh, you know, it was going to be it was going to be something that was going to keep him out for a real long time. Yeah, usually when you get down to the locker room in that kind of situation, people are trying to stay optimistic, and you'll hear a lot of, you know, we just got to wait and see what the MRI says tomorrow. You know, we're hopeful, we're we're praying for him, we're we're crossing our fingers. There was really none of that last night. I mean, I think Manu was the first one we talked to, and he basically said you could when you see when you saw him in the locker room, you knew we're not going to see him on the floor again anytime soon. And, you know, like Patty Mills said, all all he could do was basically just give him a hug and and, and try to console him. I mean, so we knew, we knew leaving last night um, it was going to be a season, probably going to be a season-ending injury. It wasn't like, you know, the Durant thing um, earlier this year where there was a twist where you saw – and there was a – you know, I know the Warriors were really worried about that one in the short term, but, but you could see a thing where it was just hyperextended with this Tony one. I mean, you just – when you saw the injury happen with absolutely no contact, and it wasn't even that he landed awkwardly in his knee or, like, landed on someone's toe or his knee um, turned when he landed. He really, if you watch the video, it looks like he feels it on the launch on the way up because when yep. he lands, he's landing gingerly on his toe. So when we saw that, um, we're like, this is this is bad. This is some kind of ligament. turns out to be a quad tendon tear, and, you know, it's it's – it's going to be tough uh, for this team to to really survive that, and we're not, not just this playoff. I mean, I mean, you're looking at like a, maybe a six to eight month recovery, and then when he comes back, I just uh, you know, I can't imagine a scenario where he's Tony Parker again, even if he's able to play. I mean, I just don't, I just don't imagine eight months from now he comes back and is able to deliver even what he was doing in these playoffs. So, you look at the short term. How do they get to this series? But then you also have to look at the long term. Where do they go after this season? And how, how do they, um, you know, rebuild this around Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, no, and I want to get to that. I want to get to that in a bit. But, um, you know, I, it, it's funny you bring up that uh, – it's funny you bring up that, that, that Durant injury early in the year because I was in Washington when that happened. And, and you're right. Like, you saw Zaza Pachulia fall into his leg. You could see what happened. You're like, all right, well, it does look great that he's limping off the court and he's grabbing at his knee. But, you know, it could just be a – you know, could just be a bruise. could be that he just felt something right away. You're not sure. And like you said, that night, you know, the Warriors thought, all right, you know, there were people saying it was probably going to be a, a – 
six to eight week thing, but nobody was quite sure. And there was a period where they weren't sure if he was going to come back this season. You know, there was a lot of gray area there. Whereas, like you said, it was pretty clear to me, you know, watching on television, I had the benefit of watching on TV as opposed to being in the arena like you. Um, when you saw him go up in the air, he didn't look great. And the second he came down and just went to the ground, um, mm-hmm. you're like, anytime you see a guy go up like that, it, it kind of, I don't remember who mentioned this last night, but it, I thought it was a good comparison. It reminded me of when Derrick Rose got hurt. And it was the same kind of thing where, like, he went up in the air and you could see, like, as he was going up in the air, it's like, oh, man, what just happened? Yep. And, and you know, it yep. was – it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty remarkable to see. Let, we'll, we'll get to the we'll get to the long term stuff for the um, for the Spurs in a little bit. But uh, in the short term, in the series, you know, obviously, I thought that the Spurs were in some trouble after Game One. I thought the Rocks were going to win the series anyway. Um, I did not think that the way they were going to get back into the series was to start um, Pau Gasol at center. Uh, but but their offense was much better. They rebounded much better. Uh, their defense was even better, though I think some of that was just used to missing some shots they made in game one. Um, wh- what was your take on on the changes that uh, what was your take on the changes that, uh, that 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 Greg Popovich made for game two? And how many of them do you think are sustainable over the course of the next four or five games? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, like you, uh, well, you weren't even on the fence about the Gasol thing. I don't think. I think you were probably wondering what what the oh, hell. I was definitely, I was definitely on the negative side. I'll be the first but, one to say I didn't think that was going to go well. Uh, you know, I was just kind of like, well, I mean, they seem to diagnose after game one that even though it looks like the problem was defense because they gave 126 points and 22 three pointers, they seem to diagnose after game one that their real problem was offense and they weren't able to score and make Houston take the ball out of the net and run half-court offense. So they made a change to put Gasol in there, um, basically figuring it couldn't get any worse defensively than what they were getting from <laughs> David Lee, yeah. and, and, and thinking maybe that would, that would up the, uh, the, help up the offensive um, you know, output a little bit, you know, the, the team offense. Gasol, Gasol didn't score well last night. He was fabulous on the 13 boards, four, four blocks, because he's basically you know, a defensive stalwart now, I guess. Yeah. Um, but – but um, I think the spacing helped them out offensively a little bit um, with him. And how how sustainable is it? I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't think last night. You know, we all thought Gasol playing pick and rolls against this guy was going to be an utter disaster. This team is going to be an utter disaster. I think he held up okay last night. I don't know how how much long how long. I don't know if that part is sustainable. Is Gasol looking um, okay in pick and rolls? against Houston. But a lot of this series, and I think this is the reason probably why you picked them, it, it seems like it's not about the Spurs. It's all in Houston's hands. If they're going to make their th- if they're going to make threes at the rate or anywhere close to the rate they made in game 1, there's really nothing you're going to do to slow them down. But conversely, and they're going to shoot those they're going to shoot 35 to 50 threes every game whether they're making them or not. So conversely, yep. if you get them on a night, if you get them on a night where they're hitting 11, like they did last night, then you have a chance to beat them. But it's, very, it's 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 a frustrating series for the Spurs and Spurs fans because there are things you can do to try to limit their open looks, but at the end of the day, um, the Rockets really control who wins the series just by virtue of do their shots go in or not. And so I think on the one hand, it's frustrating, but another thing, on the other hand, if you're a Spurs fan, maybe you can take some solace in that, even without going forward, even without Tony Parker, is maybe you can catch – a few more cold nights from the Rockets and somehow survive the series. So, you know, if it, it's it's kind of two sides of of the coin. If if the thing is all in the Rockets' hands and what they can do, what they do or don't do, you know, it, it's it's a little less burden on you maybe. I mean, maybe you just, you, if you're just riding luck, maybe you get some good luck in game three or four. I think the Spurs can take one of the next two and at least make this a six-game series. I, I do find it 
I don't know. I don't, it's hard to see them winning the series without Tony Parker now, but I do think they can maybe ride some emotion into game three tomorrow and maybe pull one out to toe in the center and make this kind of – at least make this series a little interesting. Well, I agree with you. And, look, I think, I think for as well as Parker has been playing, I think there's little doubt that he is a, is a pretty big minus on defense. And if you are going away from him and going with some better defensive lineups against this Rockets team, maybe playing Danny Green more, you know, maybe it forces Greg Poppins to play him more, which he has to. Um, maybe maybe that stuff winds up in the short term being a net positive. But um, I agree with you. I, I thought the one interesting thing was that it seemed like, you know, for really the first time I can remember, it did seem like they went small more, more uh, readily and for longer than they really have in any time I can remember playing Kawhi Leonard at power forward. And it, it really seemed like those lineups did really well. I know that's something that, that Pop has, has always been kind of hesitant to do, but, you know, especially with Parker now out, um, and, and maybe needing Kawhi to create a little more offense than he did before. You know, I know he had eight assists last night. Do you do you expect that's something that, that they're probably going to lean on even more heavily now? Yeah, the interesting thing last night is after Tony goes down with 8.52 to go in the game or something, um, the Spurs were, the Spurs ran off a 21-5 to run to put that game away after Parker is carried off the floor, and a lot of that was with a, a small lineup, uh, even without Parker. I mean, you, you, it kind of sounds funny that you want to run a bunch of small ball, but you're, you're – starting point guard is now unavailable, but I think you can still do that. And I think they showed that in the fourth quarter the other night. Again, how much is that sustainable over 48 minutes? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the Rockets make you make a lot of hard choices um, with their personnel. So uh, I don't know, but I think it is an encouraging sign. The Spurs were, I mean, I honestly think if the, if the Rockets had come back and made that a game after Parker leaves, if the Rockets had come back and won the game after Parker leaves, I think you, you really see a Spurs team that goes to Houston really unsure of itself and not knowing, um, you know, not, maybe not believing it could pull off the series. But the fact that they were able to run off that kind of tear right after Parker leaves the game with lineups they're probably going to have to use um, a lot going forward, I think that at least gives you some hope um, going forward that you still have some personnel that can match up at least a little bit and keep you in the fight. No question. And, I mean, look, I, when I wrote after game one that the Spurs need to make adjustments, I mean, I, I thought that, you know, I, I would not have – one of them I would not have done would have been playing Powell Gasol more minutes and not playing Dwayne Devin really any minutes. But clearly he's he's fallen out of favor with Pop. But, but the other thing that I thought they needed to do was to play small because um, you look at the way Houston plays with, uh, with all these guys flying around shooting threes, um, you know, having Ryan Anderson 28 feet from the basket – I mean, they, they needed to have lineups that better matched up with them, like you said, because uh, they, they, the, the Rockets do really specialize in making you make hard choices because they, they're going to play the way they're going to play, and you have to find a way to combat that. And I think, you know, seeing Pop go from playing that small lineup only two minutes to really playing it a lot, especially like you said in the fourth quarter when they blew the game open, um, I did think that was a really encouraging sign for them. And, uh, and, and I, I do think that it, it is a good sign for them going back to Houston that, that they were able to do that. Now, I think we, I think we assume that Patty Mills is going to play a lot more minutes. Um, yeah, I think he'll probably point. start. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say I would think so. I know, I know, I think somebody tweeted you earlier. Do you think that they, um, do you go with the Deontay Murray starting thing, which I agree with you. That's, that's kind of the typical pop thing to do in the regular season. But right. do you, do you think that there's any chance that he at least gives Murray a shot? given how long and athletic he is to maybe see, you know, cause like the, the thing I think of is I remember um, the game that the Spurs played against the, the Cavs in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. And he was great in that game in a, on a big stage 
against a really good team. He was really good, and it, it, it does make me wonder, do they at least give a guy who's really long and athletic and can, and can defend and could potentially be, you know, the kind of piece that could, that could really maybe help them out a little bit, at least in the short term? Do you think he maybe gets at least a chance to prove in game three or game four um, if, he, if he has a chance to uh, – um, you know, I think he gets, do you think he maybe gets a chance to prove that he deserves to get some time here in the series? Like, I don't, I don't know that that's really high on Pop's list of moves he's going to make. I, I think so, there have to, something would have to happen for him to just say, all right, let's try this. And, and the thing that hurt DeJounte Murray this year is um, in mid-March, he suffered uh, an injury, a pelvic bone injury and basically missed the entire last month of the season. And before that, you know, he had that great game in Cleveland, but he had spent most of the most of the time in the D League. So, Pop is with Pop. It's really about trust in the playoffs, and can I trust you to uh, be in the right spot all the time? And I'm going to change this play on the fly or this defensive cover on the fly. And you got to know what this hand signal means, and you got to you got to be able to execute that. And I, can't, I have to be able to trust you to do that. And uh, you know, I don't I don't think Pop has enough data on Dejounte Murray to really feel comfortable throwing him out there in, in the guts of a of a of a playoff game. So I, no, I think, right. I, so think it's, the, I think it's something you might see where if, if it starts to look desperate, either the game or the series, Pop might just say, what the hell, and go with right. it. But I don't think it's something that's really he's planning on at this point. I'll put it that right. way. Right. So, so, and that was more just a hypothetical question for you. So let's, and I agree with you. I, I think given the way he is, I, I think it's, it'd be surprising to see him do that. So what, so with that in mind, what do you think is the, um, I mean, is it, is it Patty Mills and Manu basically playing 48 minutes at point guard with uh, Kawhi handle the ball a lot more? I mean, do you think that's kind of a, the most likely, at least initial, uh, yeah, and, and there might try to bounce things out. Yeah. And there might be some, some lineups without, you know, a true quote unquote point guard out there. You might see Kyle Anderson handing, handling the ball uh, a little bit more. He was sort of a, um, a Boris Dial type point sure. forward in college. You know, I, I think I don't think I think you have Jonathan Simmons out there. I don't think he's your point guard, but I just think he's another ball handler you have out there to help relieve pressure sometimes. Um, and I think it's a lot of Kawhi Leonard, even more so than than it has been, is Kawhi Leonard running the show and taking over and and creating for himself and and others and. Uh, like I, I had a line that I wrote today that's like they've gone from, you know, Kawhi Leonard needs to guard James Harden to now he needs to guard James Harden and be James Harden at the same time. And that's kind of the, like, that's kind of what uh, you're asking of him now. You're putting all this on on his shoulders. And so it, that to me, that's almost going to be fascinating to see how Kawhi Leonard responds to all this because he's pretty unflappable and he's pretty, he just he just does what he does. It'll be interesting to see if he has even another level to this because um he's been pretty great in these playoffs so far and if if um if the Spurs would somehow survive this series I think he has to find another level of greatness and I don't know if that's fair to ask of him or not yeah I I agree with you I mean I mean look we talked about this back uh during the season when you and I were talking about MVP votes and, and look I pick I picked Kawhi as my MVP this year in large part because of what has happened in the playoffs and it's not a criticism of anything to do with the Spurs. I, I think that they did a remarkable job winning 61 games with this team, but I, I look at this team and it's not a 61 win team. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that Kawhi Leonard, you know, even if people want to criticize him for, for sitting out a couple of games, I think it's stupid. Um, I think you look at the impact he has had uh, at both ends of the court repeatedly throughout the regular season, and especially in these playoffs. I mean, to me, he has been the best player in the playoffs so far. 
I mean, you look at some of the games he had in that Memphis series, even uh, even despite the fact that they went six games. I mean, that, that game they lost in game four, his stretch at the end of that game is one of the, the greatest performances I've seen in a long time in a playoff game. It was absolutely incredible. And you look at what he does last night. He has 34 and, and eight assists, and he, he turns James Harden into a pumpkin for a night uh, after Harden had just eviscerated the the, um, the Rockets in game or the, the Spurs in game one. Um, you know, it, it is – it has been really incredible to see him see him play like that. And the thing that I wonder is, at what point uh, is is it asking too much for him? And and for the fact, I mean, he has been able to basically rise to to every challenge that um, he's basically able to rise to every challenge that has been put in front of him this year. But you do have to wonder if over the course of a series like this, where clearly the the Rockets just have so much firepower and they need Kawhi to do so much, you do just kind of wonder if even a guy like him who, who you know, I mean, I almost laugh when he said he's unflappable. I mean, he he he's the definition of a person yeah. unflappable. Like at some point, you know, at some point, is it even too much for him to try to to carry this team over the finish line in this series? I mean, it would be it would be nice if you had anyone else on the roster now that Tony H. Parker is out, where you felt comfortable in say, saying, you know, go get a basket. Let let Kawhi take a couple possessions off offensively. Somebody else will get a basket, and uh, that's kind of a roundabout way of saying. It would be nice if the Spurs' highest-paid player <laughs> would actually, you know, give you, give you that. You know, I've I've defended Lamarcus Aldridge all year because he's in a different, and all the last two years. I mean, he's in a different situation here than he was was in Portland. They're not going to run 20 straight post-ups from him here, so his his numbers are going to be down. But if you look at like, and so I've defended him on that all year. Like, he just he's more of a like a role player plus here. Okay, I'm fine with that. The game one is inexcusable. The game, the game one he put up was just inexcusable, where um, not just passing up shots, but a, a huge part of their game plan was, you know, let's get some switches and, and let LaMarcus Aldridge post up guys that should have no business guarding him. And, you know, Pat Beverly's stripping him, and he can't post up James Harden, and he's freaked out by Ryan Anderson guarding him. And so, I, you know, I, I think that was just a really uh, like that was just an inexcusable game. He was better in game 2 a little bit. I mean, he he still missed some shots, but he at least was a little more assertive. They're going to need him to be not 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 Portland Aldridge, but they're going to need him to be a, a a reliable safety valve for Kawhi, I think. I mean, I think somebody else has to provide some scoring on this team. He, he Kawhi cannot be responsible for scoring, you know, 35 points and shutting down James Harden every single night in the first one of the series. I think there's got to be I mean, it's just I don't think it's possible for for one person to do that. So I think it's gotta it, there's gotta be some ways to get him to take a little bit of the pressure off him on one end or the other. And the most obvious thing to me would be Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, doing something offensively to kind of work at that pressure release valve. Yeah, no, I agree, and and I think you're right. Lamarcus is in a weird spot there, and he he I think has actually gotten better defensively there um, yes. in ways that I didn't I didn't expect, which has been uh, an interesting thing to see from my perspective. But when you when you look at him, you know, you're right. He, despite the fact he's in a different role, like he he just doesn't look comfortable offensively. Um, you know, and like you said, I thought he was really good early last night, which I thought was pivotal for them to kind of yep, get off to yep. a good start after the way game yep. one went. But he still ended up, I, I, I know he was at 1.5 for 13, and his line just wasn't great. I mean, do you, 
is, is, do you think that maybe the lack of touches has gotten to him in terms of just his comfort level? I mean, what do you think? Um, what do you think has kind of led to the situation that he's in now, where it is just kind of odd to see a guy with so much, um, such a long history of being, you know, a reliable, you know, twenty, twenty-five point a game guy for a long time, one of the best mid-range shooters in the league, just not looking comfortable really anywhere on the court offensively right now. I think he is probably a um, like a lot of guys in the league, a lot of stars in the league, um, a rhythm player. Um, so he needs a lot. I mean, he, he's at his best when he's getting a lot of touches and a lot of touches. And in Portland, you know, if he misses four out of five shots, it's no big deal. He's going to get five more in the next, you know, the next seven or eight trips. And right. uh, maybe he makes four of those, and his final line looks fine. But here, it's just sort of like if you miss four or five, it, it, there's just not that 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 volume of touches to go around for anyone that's not Kawhi Leonard here. So I think. So from that standpoint, I think it's kind of understandable that you, you'd see some of these weird, um, these weird kind of box score lines from him. But I do, I, I just, they, so I, so I, I don't think you. It's always fair to look and go, well, he only had 12 points. Well, he was only four of seven. Or I don't think that's always on a game-to-game basis. I don't think that's really a fair way to judge Lamarcus in this system. But I think. I mean, it's almost like an eye test thing, like like watching game one. You're like, okay, you've got Pat Beverly on you. That should be an automatic two points. Oh no, you just turned it over. Oh, you got Ryan Anderson. You got Ryan Anderson on you. He's not supposed to be able to guard you. Oh, you shot a one-legged fadeaway and it didn't go in. You know, James Harden is. I mean, he's. I guess he's better this year defensively, but he's long been comically bad on defense. You're switched. James Harden is switched on you. How did he just strip you? You know, those those are the kind of like just demoralizing moments with Lamarcus, at least in game one. Where he just got to be better than that. And I thought he was a little better in game two, but again, it's almost like the bar is so low that people are saying, "Well, that's an okay game." He's got to be better than that when Tony's out. I mean, I think I think Tony has been the, as we mentioned, Tony's been their second best player. Um, part of that is in the playoffs. Part of that has been Tony has been fantastic, and part of it has been Lamarcus has not been fantastic. And I think he needs to be um, more fantastic in games three for the rest of the series if the Spurs have a chance because the, the, the Spurs just lost a, a guy that could go get you points in Tony Parker. So you need to replace that somehow. And I don't think the answer is, well, you know, well let's just make Kawhi score 20 more a game because I don't just don't think that's humanly possible. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think I think there's little doubt that, you know, for I, I think if you'd said before the playoffs that Tony Parker was the second best player on the Spurs, no matter how well Tony Parker was playing, you mm-hmm. would think that their season would be ending in the second round. And yep. and if and if that if that remains the case here, you know, and, and they don't have you know, especially Lamarcus step up in this spot, that they're they're really going to be in trouble. Now, real quick before we go, um, you you kind of hinted at it before uh, with the with the situation they're going to be in going forward. I mean, look, this is an injury that best case scenario, you're probably talking a. Uh, uh, you know, maybe he's around the early part of the season or, or sometime during training camp as far as Tony Parker's recovery goes. Uh, but given he's in his mid-30s and he's a small, quick guy, coming back from a ruptured quad is a huge task. So let, let's just assume for now that he's not a big part of what they do next year. Uh, a couple of quick rapid-fire questions. Mata Ginobili, uh, obviously legendary player, struggled mightily in the in the Grizzly series. He's been a little better the last few games. But do you think that he is back next year, or do you think this is kind of the swan song for him? I would have, I, I would have guessed before the season and just throughout the season that this is probably his last year because it just feels like that. It feels like that contract he got last summer was sort of a, a big farewell, you know, thank you contract, fourteen million dollars. Um, now if Tony's going to be out for for a long stretch to start the season, maybe next year, I think there maybe is a um, sort of impetus in the front office to to keep Mono around just so that you're not losing 
basically Tim Tony Amanu with a you know a twelve month stretch you know so I uh, but but if I had to put money on it, I'd say this is probably Manu's last year just because he's going to be forty. <laughs> right. And he's and he's and then, and as somebody who is you know I mean God love him I mean nobody nobody in the media loves a player more than Manu given the way he is both an incredible quote and an incredible guy to watch even at this point he still makes passes very few other guys can make but I mean it, it has been hard to watch and uh, you would have to think that this is probably um, this is probably I mean if he came, if he came back he would be like a more of a locker room kind of I mean that's kind of what he is now anyway I mean he, yeah. he wouldn't be a twenty minute a night guy I don't think right um, do you do you think uh, Pau Gasol opts into the $60 million he's got on the books, and do you think that's what the Spurs expect? Right, yeah, I just can't imagine. Like, if he opts out, I think someone needs to, to like, make him an appointment with a psychiatrist the next day, because why is Pau Gasol giving up $16 million at age 37? Right. You know, I just I just, I just, just think it's it's in his best interest to take the money, because he's not going to get it. He's not going to get it anywhere else. And and I think that's what the Spurs expect. I think that's what they expected last summer. I think they felt like they had to have some kind of um, – fill in for Tim, you know, replace, not replacement for Tim Duncan, but a guy that could fill that spot. And, uh, and they kind of had to pay, pay a little bit for it. Um, and that's that him opting in is probably going to, it's going to make the summer really difficult for them as far as if they wanted to make a big free agency splash. Cause it's, there's no really easy path to salary cap space. If Todd was all absent. No. And that, and that's where it comes around to kind of the final, I think, important question, which is what do you think they do with Patty Mills? Um, do, you, do you think, do you, do you think that, cause I think, you know, he's a guy, you know, as you look at kind of a spark plug by, guy who can either come off the bench or start in a pinch and is a really good shooter, could space the floor at the point. You looked at, a, you know, coming into the playoffs, you looked at a lot of these teams like Milwaukee or Philadelphia that have these ball dominant, bigger wings that um, like to have the ball in their hands. Uh, you'd look at Patty as the kind of guy like, hey, you can go play next to that guy and be a nice fit. Um, but do you think that because of, the, especially because of this Tony injury, and the fact that, you know, I'm looking at it now, if Powell opts in, they're maybe going to have $10 million in cap space, and they're probably not even going to have that much. Um, so do you think that uh, – do you think that this – do you think that this injury changes at all the calculus with Mills this summer in terms of him sticking around? I think it almost – it almost – unless – it almost has to, doesn't – I mean, I, I, unless there's just some magic bullet where you feel like – I mean, the Spurs are – the Spurs have a way of figuring out cap space when they need it. Like, they'll just magically – off the trade that that gives them fast gives them uh, cap space. So like like the the big fan type dream around here is Chris Paul. I right. don't know that Chris Paul is le- is leaving the Clippers, and if he is, I don't know why he's coming to the Spurs. But you know, let's assume you want to go after Chris Paul this summer. The Spurs would have to. Um, I mean, they'd have to trade. Nagel. They'd have to. They'd have to trade Lamarcus and Powell. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think there was some thought at some point this season. Well. One way you could trade for cap space is to trade Tony, but that pretty much just went out the window, didn't it? Because now he's out all year. Yeah. So, um, so barring that, like barring some some way to create all this cap space and go get a a big name point guard, who's your starting point guard to start the season next year? Now, if you don't sign Patty Mills, are you going to start Deontay Murray from the? I mean, it's Deontay Murray, right? Are you going to start him from the? Are you going to start him from the get go? I, I just that doesn't seem like a pop move. I know he started Tony as a uh, rookie like four or five games in, but I. I don't know. I, I do. I do know there's there's some pressure to not squander what you've got in Kawhi Leonard and his prime. So I think they're going to pull. I mean, I, I, so I don't know. I, it, I think they would probably like to go out and get a better option in free agency at point guard, but it's not always possible to get what you want. And if you can't do that, I think I think they're going to have to look hard, long and hard, 
about doing whatever it takes to bring Patty Mills back. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think I think the thing to look at with the Spurs uh, more than anything else is the summer of 2018 and not the summer of 2017 because yes. you, you look at their team right now and they've got, uh, you know, not, not, to, not to get too far out of ourselves since they are still obviously still playing in the playoffs, but you, you look at their books in 2018, they've got two guaranteed contracts on the – well, they've got one guaranteed contract on the books, which is Kawhi Leonard, and they've got a, a little under $2 million, uh, owed to Tim Duncan from a stretch payment. Uh, mm-hmm. let's, just, let's assume they pick up Deontay Murray's option, which we, I think it's safe to assume they will. So yep. you, you add those three guys together, they're at $23 million. So, you know, you got LaMarcus with a player option. you got Danny Green with a player option. They should both opt out of their deals. I mean, so you're, you're looking at probably in the neighborhood of $80 million in a summer where Paul George is a free agent, where LeBron James is a free agent, where DeMarcus Cousins is a free agent. Uh, you, you know, there, there are a lot of guys, you know, Russell Westbrook could be a free agent in 12 months. I mean, there, yeah. there are a lot of – there, you know, there are a lot of guys who are going to be on the market. And look, I mean, do, do I think that the Spurs would necessarily end up with any of them? I don't know. But, you know, if you could say, hey, come play with Kawhi Leonard, who at that point is going to be 26 years old and one of the best young players in the league at that point. I mean, you've got to think that, it, you know, if the Spurs kind of patchwork this together for a year and, and then go into 2018 full guns blazing, trying to get, you know, the, the guys to really build the next Spurs you know, dynastic team around Kawhi. Yeah. I, I think that's a scenario that seems pretty, uh, pretty realistic uh, for me at that at that point. Yeah, there's two things I think about that. Number one, it seems like you know we don't know how this whole CBA, the new CBA, is going to affect free agency, but it seems like um, there's going to be more impetus for even more impetus for guys to stay home. You can make even more money signing. So so there's going to be le- there's just going to be less guys leaving. I think. So that, that cuts the pool a little bit. And then my second question when it comes to the Spurs is, what's Greg Popovich's status at that point? Like, how, how long do you – because I think, I, think, I think most star players in the league I mean, love Pop. With his team, with the All-Stars that he's coached, the Team USA stuff he's been involved with. Like, LeBron, LeBron loves Pop. Everyone loves Pop. I could see guys coming here to play with Kawhi Leonard and Pop. If Pop – if you get the sense that Pop is, you know, not going to be around much longer, he's only got to – or is not around then at all, then I think it changes something. It changes a lot of your your attractiveness as a free agent destination. I think I think right I think right now Pop is probably your better um, recruiter than Kawhi Leonard as far as free agencies go. And we don't know how long he's we don't know how long he's gonna he's gonna be there. I mean we don't we don't it's, it's whether it's two years four years but it's 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 definitely the, the Pop era is definitely on the clock. I mean he's 68 years old. He's not yeah. gonna coach until he's 90. Yeah, no, and, and, and look, the other thing, not to freak out any Spurs fans as we wrap up, but, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's a free agent in two years. And, mm-hmm. and you and you expect that he'll stick around, but especially given the kind of guy he is. But, look, I mean, if, if the Spurs, you know, the next two summers aren't able to really surround him with the kind of team that's going to be competitive, you know, that, that might end up being a question mark, too. So, you know, there's, there's a lot. You know, for for as stable as the Spurs have been for a long time, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's going to be really fascinating to see how they navigate these next couple of years because they're they're moving into a, a period of, like you said, between Popovich and and Parker and Ginobili exiting the stage and Kawhi's contract coming up in a couple of years. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating to see if this team can can stick at the same uh, the same place that that it has been for such a long time. Yeah, definitely, it's going to be interesting to follow and. Chronicle is just going to be it's it's going to be different around this city and it's it's been that way a little bit this year with Tim Duncan kind of not around anymore but as more and more of these guys start to disappear 
I think it's going to start to hit people pretty hard around here that have been just used to having these people in their lives for 20 decades, for, for 20 years straight. Yep. No, and I think last night was a was a great sign of that. So, you got anything to uh, you got anything to plug before you bounce or no? I'm writing every day. Expressnews.com. Um, you can buy the paper if you're in San Antonio. I think so. I think we still print. Um, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter and uh, pick up my stuff that way. But there, there's something new every day until this whole uh, playoff ride is over. That that's true. So, all right, man. Well, thanks uh, thanks for the time, and I will see you. Uh, I'll see you in about 24 hours in in Houston. All right, man. We'll see you in each town. All right. Thanks again to Jeff. Appreciate him coming on, especially during the playoffs. Uh, he's he's great. Definitely follow him on Twitter. Um, and check out all of his work on the Spurs. He's, he's long been the authority down there in San Antonio on them. So be sure to check him out. Uh, as for everybody listening here, you can follow, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can find my work in the Washington Post and on and at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Uh, please subscribe to the Monday Morning Post Up, my NBA newsletter that's going daily through the playoffs. Uh, to do so, click, uh, go to wapo.st slash newsletter. That's wapo.st slash postup newsletter. Thank you in advance to anybody who was able to do that. Got a lot of subscriptions so far. It's been really good. So uh, appreciate the interest and appreciate uh, everybody signing up. And hopefully more you continue to. Um, as for the podcast, you can find it anywhere you can find podcasts. Please give it a rating and review. Uh, really appreciate that. It helps us out a lot. So so thanks to anybody willing to do so uh, on that front. Um, Thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Those guys are great. Music is great. Go find their stuff online and, and buy their music because it's tremendous. Uh, thanks again to Jeff for stopping by. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll be back next week, hopefully with two or three pods on the NBA playoffs as things heat up. So thanks again. We'll talk to you all soon.